Welcome to Aircrew Interview, I'm Mike Young, your host, and this episode we chat with Jörki Lauken about flying the Finnish MiG-21 F-13 and MiG-21 BIS. So if you like what we do here, head over to patreon.com forward slash aircrewinterview to help us out for as little as $1 per month. You can also donate by going to aircrewinterview.tv forward slash donate. Thank you and enjoy. So Jörki, when did you first become interested in aviation? When I was a small kid, maybe five, seven years old, when I began to my schoolboy years. And then what year did you join the Air Force? I actually joined the Air Force already in 1966 as an engineer. Mm-hmm. At that time, I was studying in University of Technology, and they hired me as an engineer. Mm-hmm. not as a pilot. I was still studying in university. So did you initially want to be an engineer or did you want to be a pilot uh, from the start? Initially I wanted to be an Air Force pilot, mm-hmm. but at the age of 18 what happened, my left eye was nearsighted mm-hmm. and the doctor said that you are not accepted. So I decided that if I not be an, a fighter pilot, I like to be an aeronautical engineer. Okay. So. That's how you got your start. Yeah, that's how I started in the Air Force as an engineer. Mm-hmm. So when you got commissioned to be a pilot, can you tell us some of the aircraft you started training on? Well, I, I was lucky to uh, go to the pilot training when I was already 25. And actually at that time I was working in the Air Force as an engineer. And my left eye was okay at that time. And I uh, was accepted to a pilot training in 1968. That was a special pilot course. Uh, at that time, the, uh, the uh, reserve pilot training in the Air Force, they didn't fly when they were the conscript period of one year. But this was different course. We were hired to be uh, just pilots. We had to make a assignment for three years to serve as a pilot. Mm-hmm. And in that course, we just flew 130 hours. And that was very good pilot course in the Air Force. It was a flight officer course number 40. Mm-hmm. It was a kind of a test. Mm-hmm. We just trained pilots, not officers. Mm-hmm. And what aircraft was that on? Uh, the primary training was with the Saab Safir. Mm-hmm. And what was that like to fly? Just like any light aircraft mm-hmm. with 180 horsepower mm-hmm. with aerobatic capabilities. Mm-hmm. And after some 25 hours in Safir, we began the training with this Fuga. Mm-hmm. So obviously we can see it behind us here. Can you tell us what the training was like on this aircraft and what it was like to fly? Okay, for me it was uh, an old friend because during my years as an engineer, the two years in the Air Force, my friends let me fly Fuka from backseat. So to me, it was an uh, old friend. Yeah. <laughs> so I cannot tell how it feels if you are flying for the first time because mm-hmm. I got some maybe almost 100 hours in the backseat. Mm-hmm. So you, yeah, you had a, a few trips before. So you were, yeah, so I, I, I knew the tricks. So the instructors wondering in the first flight was a kind of familiarization flight. Mm-hmm from the back seat, and the uh, instructor said that if, if you want to fly from the back seat, try it from the back seat. Mm-hmm. I said, yes, I want to do that, and I was flying so well, my family is in flight, that uh, 
instructor let me land it. Oh, wow. And then he wondered, oh, that was really nice for the first time. I didn't tell him. <laughs> well, uh, just afternoon, that was in the morning, afternoon the instructor pilot came to me and was very angry. Why did not you tell me that you had been flying in the uh, flight test center before? Mm -hmm. I said, you didn't ask, sir. <laughs> Perfect answer, yeah. yeah but it was uh, very nice to get fly alone a jet aircraft. It mm -hmm. was kind of uh, all my dreams come true when mm -hmm. I first soloed the Fuka. Mm -hmm. And was it a powerful aircraft? No, it is underpowered. Underpowered, yeah. yeah. It weighs about three tons and the only thrust is two times 400 kilos, mm, yeah. 600 kilos with the three, over three tons. Mm -hmm. It's not very well powered, so the takeoff run is long and slow, and uh, cruising speed is only 400 kilometers per hour. If you accelerate 20 minutes, you can go level to 600, but it takes a long time. Sitting there, yeah. So how long did you spend on the Fuka, and uh, where did you go after this? Well, uh, the pilot course at Kauhova took one year, and I flew there 130 hours with Fuka. Mm -hmm. That was my initial basic training in the Air Force. And after this course, I was contracted for three years as a, as a pilot. Mm -hmm. Not an Air Force officer, but as a pilot. Okay. a second lieutenant, mm -hmm. lowest rank mm -hmm. as an officer in the Air Force. Mm -hmm. And uh, the system was there that uh, during the first year, we flew more fuga hours to get our Air Force wings. Mm -hmm. So I could, flew some 100 more hours with fuga. Mm -hmm. And the second year at that time was uh, for the MiG training was flown with the MiG-15. Mm -hmm. One year with that to get used to... Uh, jet fighter, mm -hmm. because Fuka was a low-performance airplane mm -hmm. compared to the MiG. Mm -hmm. But I did not fly the MiG-15 MiG training, because at that time they thought that uh, the MiG-15 will be phased out soon. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to check how you can move from the Fuka straight to MiG-21 mm -hmm. with a great speed difference and performance. So. I was selected as a low-time pilot to go directly from Fuka to MiG-21. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky to get on my third year in the Air Force mm -hmm. to go directly to MiG-21. Mm -hmm. So in my next year in, uh, in the squadron, I got my MiG training. Mm -hmm. And uh, it went so well that actually two and a half years since I joined the Air Force, I was uh, a pilot with uh, weapons and guarding the airspace, weak alert pilot, in two years and a half, because I got one year ahead, because I passed the MiG-15 year. So, Yuriki, what were your first thoughts on uh, the MiG-21? Oh, I thought that, hey, boys, that's Mach 2 fighter. That's a dream to fly to me. Mm -hmm. Dreams come true. Be an Air Force fighter pilot with a fighter which is capable of Mach 2 speeds. Mm -hmm. uh, what version were you assigned to? Well, at that time when I was in training, we had a two two-seater U-models. Mm -hmm. And then we have one squadron, which means 20 MiG 
21F13 models, mm -hmm. which is behind me. Mm -hmm. And what was the main role of the MiG uh, for the Finnish Air Force at this point? Uh, it was our the most capable fighter at the time. We caught them in 1963. And that was, uh, at that time, was a very modern fighter. Cutting edge at the time. At the time, yeah. And still, in, uh, when I started training in 60, uh, in 70, it was very capable. A day fighter, no mm -hmm. radar, so it was a day interceptor. Mm -hmm. But performance-wise, very capable. Mm -hmm. So can you talk us through some of your ground training on the MiG? The ground training was uh, ground school. We were sitting, were sitting in the classroom and uh, make notice to our notebooks and uh, learned items by heart. Mm -hmm. And before going to uh, even taxi, we were sitting in the cockpit for one week, wow. studying all the switches, and we have to find them in the test by closed eyes. No every way. item, instructor asks every switch, and we have to find them by heart. Wow. Was it difficult uh, learning Russian systems? Oh, no, 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 no problem. Actually, the uh, most labeling was already in Finnish. Mm -hmm. And part were in Russian and part were in English because mm -hmm. it was an export model. So there mm -hmm. was Finnish, Russian and English in the cockpit. Mm -hmm. And so why did uh, Finland actually pick the MiG-21 as their, you know, frontline fighter? Well, in those times, we have an uh, agreement with the Soviet Union cooperation and friendship cooperation and uh, we were not actually able to buy so easily western fighters and uh, there was uh, there was a problem with the soviet union and west germany and there was a negotiation with finnish leaders and soviet leaders and the soviet said in uh, 61 that uh, west germany is a threat mm -hmm. to soviet union and finland has to be capable of defending its airspace. Mm -hmm. At that time, we have only 12 nuts, mm -hmm. only 12, wow. compared to Swedish Air Force, who had 600 tunnels. We yeah. have 12 nuts. And they, uh, the Rutschow, the leader, said that if Finland does not take care of air defense, they are coming to Finland and take care of that. Really? And uh, Rutschow offered to sell... Uh, a squadron of their latest fighter, MiG-21 F-13. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's how we decided we buy them. Mm -hmm. So it was actually, they were sold to us. Mm -hmm. We never evaluated them. Okay, so you just took them as we were. We just took them, we bought them. Mm -hmm. That was, uh, trade was bilateral that time. So mm -hmm. instead of getting there from Russian cars, we got Russian fighters. Mm -hmm. At that time, that was a good selection. Mm -hmm. It was very capable, and we got it by, by trading things. Mm -hmm. We didn't need any money, actually. Mm -hmm. So we have to talk about your first flight in the MiG. What was that like? I know you were in the back seat, but it must have been incredible. No, the first flight was in the front seat. Oh, okay. Yeah, in a two-seater. Mm -hmm. We started to fly it immediately by ourselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first takeoff, I remember it, the Fuka took off below 200 kilometers per hour. Mm -hmm. The MiG took off at about almost 400 kilometers per hour. <laughs> so at initial takeoff, the very sensitive aileron control, I was going like this all the time. <laughs> and the instructor said that don't, 
don't touch the stick. <laughs> and I let it go very steady. But the aileron control was real fast. Mm -hmm. You could roll it in less than one second. Wow, that is... And uh, once you learned to, to uh, be very careful with aileron, it was nice to fly. Very sensitive in uh, roll. Mm -hmm. Not so bad in pitch. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first landing, I thought in final approach that this rocket will never stop to that stamp. The uh, runway looked like a stamp, so I thought that it will never stop on that short distance. Mm -hmm. But using the drag chute, it did stop. And after some two, three flights, you get used to those heights, mm -hmm. high takeoff and landing speeds. Mm -hmm. So did you use the chute every landing? Uh, with the F model and the U model, we used because it has small uh, wheels, small brakes. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, we normally use the dark shoot for every landing mm -hmm. to save the brakes. Yeah. So could you tell us some of the flying you would conduct in your training uh, phase? At that time, the uh, initial training was, uh, it was heritage from Soviet Union. And the first two flights were just going over the pattern mm -hmm. with various airspeeds, configuration, and, and fourth and fifth flight were just in the area turning and... Uh, maneuvering slowly, no aerobatics no, in the first five training flights, mm -hmm. which were just aiming to the first solo flight in the MiG-21F. Yeah. So it was kind of a Russian effect was still there, which was very uh, not so... It, it followed some forms to what they used. Mm -hmm. That was developed later when we learned to fly them, but initially the training was little straight line, mm -hmm. turn left, go straight ahead, and mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So what was the MiG like to handle? As I told you, the uh, aileron control was very sensitive and real fast. Mm -hmm. The rudder was all manual. At higher speeds, the rudder force was really heavy. Mm -hmm. It was all manual rudder. And the pitch control was uh, nice because you have the Q feel, which changed the... Uh, it was variable with airspeed, so the, well, for any airspeed, you have the same stick movement and power for the same G. Mm -hmm. So even at stall or even at Mach 2, we have the same feel in the pitch control. Oh, wow. So it was very nice to fly. Mm -hmm. So what would you say the strengths and weaknesses of the MiG-21 were? The weakness was the uh, poor brakes. You have to use the drag chute. And the short endurance mm -hmm. with full power, like in the later I was making the uh, demonstration flights. If you're flying at full afterburner, you run out of fuel in seven minutes. Seven minutes? With full afterburner. So you're very sparingly with it. Yeah, and even uh, you couldn't use the uh, uh, afterburner all the time because the uh, feeding from the wing tanks to the feeder tank was so slow that the feeder tank was emptying and there was a warning. Tank mm -hmm. number three is running out of fuel, even you have fuel in the wing. So we have to take afterburner off to get time to get the fuel from the wing tanks to the feeder tank. Oh, okay. So you have to follow those lamps mm -hmm. of the tanks. Yeah. Not to run off the fuel from the last tank. You still have wing, wing tanks left. Yeah, so. You don't want that to happen. This was their weakness, I think. The weakness, yeah. 
And the main strength was probably its speed, I'm guessing. Yeah. You could climb at Mach 2. Really? Yeah. Mach 2, wow. If so you were going at uh, about 40,000 feet at Mach 2, you had either to not climb or to reduce power. Oh. It was overspeeding. Mach 205 was the limiting speed because of the uh, directional stability. Mm-hmm. How, how many trips did it take you before you actually managed to go Mach 2? Uh, it was already, I think, on, on our uh, fourth <laughs> solo flight. That's because the, when we reached the altitude of uh, 18,000 meters, we had to offer coffee to older pilots. And also when we exceeded Mach 2, we had to offer coffee to older pilots. So they put <laughs> that in the first part of the range to get free coffee from the junior pilots. Yeah. So, did you ever conduct a DACT with the other types of the time? I was only one year in the squadron, mm-hmm. so I didn't get any of this kind of training because mm-hmm. I was only one year before I went to the test pilot course. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned your squadron there. What squadron uh, were you with and where was it based? That was Fighter Squadron uh, 31 at Kuopio, Ristala. I had no car, no girlfriend, no money because the salary was the lowest in Finnish administration or Air Force or really? anything, yeah. The lowest salary available. That was agreement that we contracted to serve with the lowest A1 salary class in the whole country. So I had no money, so I was very anxious to fly, so I was volunteering for the weekend, week alert service. So mm-hmm. I was sitting there in weekends, on Saturdays and Sundays, two hours with a pressure suit. And then we changed the pilot for two hours. That must have been uncomfortable, though. Oh, it was nice, but uh, very few alerts. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, many times the, uh, the fighter control asked that, is Jürgen sitting there in the cockpit? Yes, he's there again. <laughs> so they alerted me. Okay. Take off heading 240, 10,000 meters, just to get me some flying <laughs> because I have friends in the fighter control. So they knew you were there already. Yeah, so they let me fly uh-huh. without any uh, intruders in the airspace. So, how, how many hours did you get on this, uh, on this tour, on this one year tour? With the F model, I got uh, 550 hours. hours. And do you have any memorable stories from this jet that you can share with us? Well, it was my, uh, I think, was my second or third solo flight at takeoff. When I, before rotating, I checked my airspeed and engine. At, it was 250 when you rotate initially the nose up. The uh, engine RPM, there are two uh, rotation indicators because it's two spool engine. They normally are, both are at 100 RPM. 100%. Mm-hmm. At this time, they were at uh, 95 and 75. Mm-hmm. I said, something is wrong, I decided. And I just go to idle, air brakes open, full brake interaction, and it stopped 50 meters before the end of the runway. Ooh. And uh, I taxied back and checked the engine. There's the, uh, the uh, jet nozzle in the end, end, end of the engine. It didn't operate. It normally, when you have military power, it's, it's closed and it opens only with full afterburner. For some reason, it opened at military power, mm. which means that it gives no thrust at all. So no. my uh, 
my squadron leader said that, Kuti, that you aborted, you never got off. Mm -hmm. So I had crashed if I hadn't aborted it. With 50 meters, when I used all the brakes I had. <laughs> On the second, next flight after this one, I took off and wanted to gear up, climbing the uh, jet bar temperature went to zero. Oh. I thought, oh no, <laughs> something again. But because there was still thrust and RPM was good, I thought that it may be its instrument. Mm -hmm. So I canceled the mission and burned some fuel and landed, and it was the instrument. But Sorry, I thought that, oh no, second flight and oh, one problem again. <laughs> it was no real problem, it was an indicator only. Wow. Could you describe the MiG-21 F-13's cockpit for us? It's... It looks very cramped. <laughs> it's a typical late 50s. And uh, there are switches all over the cockpit. Mm -hmm. And it really took some week sitting in the cockpit to learn them by heart, eyes closed to find everything. But once you get to learn them, you found them. But a lot of uh, switching and checking and checking and switching before you could even put the battery on. Mm -hmm. So it was not so pilot-friendly as today. Mm -hmm. Compared to truck, and it's very pilot-friendly cockpit, but the MiG is it's full of switches, which you have to know their position and be in correct place. Mm -hmm. If one is in the wrong place, you can burn the engine when you start it. Wow. So in 1970, you got sent to the flight test center. Can you tell us about this? Well, actually, the contract was for three years. But after two years, uh, pilots from the Air Force were going to Finnair. And the Air Force obviously wanted to keep me in the Air Force, in the Air Force and they, they decided that, hey, Jyrki is a flight engineer and a fighter pilot. That will make a good test pilot. Mm -hmm. Because that, last like in the US, you know, most of the test pilots graduate are uh, light test engineers, and they are also aeronautical engineers. Mm -hmm. So I had this background, so they decided that, hey, Jyrki makes a good test pilot with this engineering background. Mm -hmm. So I said, hey, sounds good. So after just two years of the three years contract, they moved me to the flight test center, Finnish Air Force Flight Test Center, mm -hmm. in late 1970. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was, 71 uh, and 72, was uh, a test pilot with uh, local training while working. The older test pilot told me how you do this thing, and I was flying test flights for two years mm -hmm. until there was a Finnish test pilot course beginning in 1973. Mm -hmm. And then I was accept, accepted there because I was uh, already there in flight center. <laughs> yeah. so. But for two, two years, I just flew test flights, being not uh, actually a test pilot, with actually no test pilot training, mm -hmm. but learning while flying. Yes. <laughs> and what aircraft were you flying at this time, uh, in that in two, three years? Oh, the uh, air, aircraft that time was uh, Saab Safir. Mm -hmm. The Havilland Beaver and Fuga and uh, MiG 21F. Mm -hmm. So, when you became uh, an official test pilot, could you tell us uh, some of the training you had and what kind of flights you uh, would conduct? Okay, that was one year course. Uh, the first Finnish test pilot course was in 1956, 
And this was test pilot course number four, mm -hmm. which I attended in 73, 74. Mm -hmm. And the training was with uh, those aircraft that we had, mm -hmm. which means uh, Safir, Fuga, MiG-21, and Beaver. Mm -hmm. We had one Beaver in flight test center. Mm -hmm. And that uh, the instruction was for uh, maintenance test flying and research test flying. Mm -hmm controllability, stability, performance, mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. So did each flight differ to the last one? Or would you do something new every time you went up? There was first uh, in training, it was uh, one flight with instructor, mm -hmm. just like speed stability. And then you had your engineer behind you in the back seat, and you made it yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you have made a, a report on that, mm -hmm. which was inspected. It was like this, one training flight, one uh, flight by yourself, and then the paperwork. <laughs> the boring bit. <laughs> yeah, the bad side of the thing. <laughs> so obviously here to talk about the MiG-21, so could you t tell us what kind of flying you would conduct and test with uh, the MiG-21? In the course, it was uh, mostly a uh, couple of performance flights and a couple of uh, handling stability mm -hmm. checks. Yeah, typically in squadron, you maneuver more but with the uh, flight testing, you stabilize more. You have to stabilize airspeed, altitude, mm -hmm. attitude to get uh, data, mm -hmm. which is stabilized. Mm -hmm. So many flights were just trying to stabilize your airspeed and altitude and attitude. And as our viewers can see, we're standing behind another MiG-21. Can you tell us about this? And um, did you fly it yourself? Yes, I did. Uh, when the older MiG needed replacement. At that time, it was politically uh, mandatory that the replacement will be uh, supplied from the Soviet Union. So we had that time trackings, and now we had to buy something from the East. And uh, we had to select either uh, Su-22, mm -hmm. which was a strike fighter, or MiG-23 with the swing wing or the later model MiG-21, the BIS. Mm -hmm. And we thought that uh, the other two are not for us, but the BIS looks good because it's so much similar to the F model that training and things mm -hmm. are easier. Mm -hmm. So uh, we sent a team of pilots and mechanics to the Soviet Union in 78. Mm -hmm. And I was there as a test pilot from the flight test center. Mm -hmm. And uh, we spent uh, two months in the Soviet Union mm -hmm. for training. Mm -hmm. We didn't fly there. Mm -hmm. We didn't need to fly because we thought we can fly the airplane, but it was a ground school. Mm -hmm. And how did you get on with the Russians? Uh, the training was in Russian, mm -hmm. Baruski. Mm -hmm. And there was an interpreter who uh, told us in Finnish. But after two weeks, we told him, shut up. Because the Russian instructors were speaking very clearly, mm -hmm. using the same words. And also in Russia, the uh, aviation vocabulary is it's much the same. And they were good pictures on the screen. Mm -hmm. So uh, we learned so much Russian that we could follow the instruction without interpreters. Oh, that's good then. Yeah. And uh, for me, it was good because I learned so much Russian that uh, once we have... Uh, got the airplanes to Finland. The Russians flew them to Kuopio. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we need to make the acceptance test flying. So actually, in 1980, 
when the airplanes arrived at Risala, we had three test pilots from pilot test pilot center to go to test fly them. But when the other two guys look at the cockpit, they said, oh, Yurki, this is all Russian. They said that we go home, Yurki, you take care of those because they couldn't fly it because all the labeling was in Russian. Wow, okay. I, ne- I never flown the airplane yet, mm-hmm. so they let me do so. I have a test flown acceptance all these beast models to Finnish Air Force. Wow, okay. I flew all of them. And how many did you have? 22. So yeah, and then okay. we have uh, four more, but actually 26, the total number. Right. So I made the, uh, signed them and said, Harasho, normal. Accepted them. All up to you. So yeah, I have I have bought all those pieces <laughs> to Finnish Air Force. Brilliant. Kind of bought them because I signed the, them your, that they accepted. Yeah. yeah. So could you tell us the difference between the BIS and the F model? Well, the BIS uh, has radar. That's a different. It has radar missiles and its radar capability. Fighter radar in the nose, mm-hmm. and uh, it has a more advanced cockpit. Actually, in Finland, we put their Western avionics. Okay. So it made it more modern. Mm-hmm. We replaced all the Russian avionics and put their Western things. Mm-hmm. And uh, performance-wise, it has the same maximum speed, same climb speed, same endurance. So that thing, they are the same, but uh, the e- equipment is better because we modified them. Mm-hmm. And it has uh, bigger wheels, which means bigger brakes. Uh, we did not use drag suit normally okay. at all right. because better brakes. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't so nice to fly because it's bulky mm-hmm. and it doesn't fly so nicely as the F-Molar, which was like a silver dart. Mm-hmm. So it also had a stabilization system in pitch and roll mm-hmm. because it was not so stable in mm-hmm. pitch and yaw like the F-Model. Mm-hmm. And would it carry the same weapons as the F-Model? Uh, the F had one uh, 30 millimeter cannon. This one has a uh, two barrel 23 millimeter gun. Mm-hmm. And the F had two missiles, IR missiles. This one can have up to six missiles, mm-hmm. also radar missiles. So that was a difference. Better weaponry, mm-hmm. but same performance, but not so nice to fly. And the visibility from the cockpit was worse. Than the F model. Yeah, that one look. The F model yeah. does look a lot better. Yeah. yeah, that was not so good. I can't really see behind you. I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> there was a mirror in above you, which you can see that your fin is coming with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all you could see from That's the mirror. Yeah. So, for our viewers out there, can you give us some stats um, about the MiG-21? Like, what was the fastest it could go? How high? What was your average um, speed you would travel? Well, the both airplanes had the same performance. Mm-hmm. The maximum Mach number was 205, mm-hmm. and that was limited because of directional stability. Mm-hmm. And the uh, service ceiling was limited to uh, some 18,000 meters, mm-hmm. practically, but uh, you could climb higher. My best altitude is uh, 21,300 meters, which is 70,000 feet. And at that altitude, it was still climbing at Mach 2. But there's a corner, what you call, uh, at, when you go high altitude, mm-hmm. you have your airspeed, indicate airspeed getting low, and the minimum was 500 to keep the engine running. And the max was 205 Mach, which is directional stability. And when you go higher, they come together, 
if you go above that, you either go too fast or too low. So at 21,000 meters, I thought that, okay, my Mach number is maximum, my airspeed is minimum. I can't go higher, the engine may quit. So I turned it upside down, all, stick all the way back, stop it climbing. It still climbed 300 meters, wow. even stick all the way back and invert it. And, but I maintained the airspeed within limits. Wow, impressive. So how many hours did you get on the MiG-21 and did you enjoy flying both types? The, uh, I flew some uh, 800 plus hours with the BIS and the total time with the MiG-21 uh, is uh, 1,400. But as, as I told you, the endurance is short, so there are many flights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Typically, a uh, uh, maximum altitude flight with full afterburner, you took off, and after seven minutes, you were at 21,000 meters, Mach 2. And then you have a 500 liters warning light burning, which means that shut down the afterburner, you lose the engine because the fuel is ending. So. Seven minutes, you were high and fast. You go to idle and nicely, slowly, with idle, come back to base. The whole flight is 15 minutes. Wow. It's not long at all, is it? <laughs> but you got high and fast. Yes, of course. But that's a typically fast climb to max altitude. Mm-hmm. Would that have, uh, often happen? Would you test that quite often? Only in test flights. Only in test flights, yeah. Yeah. So you also uh, flew and tested the Hawk. Um, can you tell us about this? Yeah. Of the 153 types I have flown, the people ask me which is the best aircraft, and I tell them it's British Airspace Hawk. The Hawk is really a nice aircraft in all respects. Mm-hmm. You sit there nicely, switches are nicely, I like the instrumentation, visibility out is good, it's easy to taxi, it, it's stable, it's very maneuverable, it goes fast, climbs well, and it goes far away. Mm-hmm. So uh, as a whole, I like it. It's, it's the best aircraft, overall aircraft I have ever flown. Mm-hmm. So how did it actually handle? I'm, I'm guessing everyone uh, says it's like a little sports car. Would this be correct in saying that? It handles nicely. Mm-hmm. The stick forces are just good. Not too heavy, not too light. Mm-hmm. Responses in all directions is, is nice. Mm-hmm. Not too quick, not too low. Mm-hmm. So... They designed a real good airplane. Mm-hmm. And do you think this was the right aircraft uh, to train students to go into fast jets? Yeah, I think it's a real nice aircraft. Mm-hmm. And how many hours did you get on the Hawk? 1,100. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> and you preferred this over the MiG, I'm surprised. I thought you were going to go say MiG-21. Yeah, the MiG, the F-model MiG is my real fighter, but my most pleasant airplane to fly with the airplanes is the uh, Hawk. Mm-hmm. So how long did you spend at the test center? I went there from Risala in late 1970 and I retired. I was forced to retire when I was 60. (laughs) I had to leave the Air Force in August 2002. So as a pilot, I flew there uh, 35 years and as a test pilot, 32 years. Hell of a career, certainly. 10,000 10, military flying hours. And how many types? 23 in the Air Force. Wow. And as a pilot in command. Mm-hmm. 
you also took, uh, I think you said, 55,000 uh, photographs in your time. Can you tell us how you got started with photography? Well, I started when I was interested in airplanes when a small boy. I got my first camera in 53. And uh, the first pictures of airplanes I taken here at Kimi Airfield. There was, uh, the best time was the Air Force camp flying Vihuri trainers here. And I started to shoot Air Force airplanes and that just continued. And uh, it was uh, not so active until I bought my first system camera, Asahi Pentax, mm -hmm. in 71, when I got more salary than as a <laughs> line pilot. So mm -hmm. uh, since then, I started to take Kodachromes, and it mm -hmm. just grew up, and I got interested. And mm -hmm. every time, year by year, I took more and more pictures. And then I found that in the Air Force, you could take air to air. Initially, I tried to take pictures while flying, mm -hmm. Flying the MiG with the left hand, taking pictures with the right hand, <laughs> and using throttle with either hands. It was difficult to fly formation. Mm -hmm. So uh, after a couple of years, I decided that when I fly, I don't take pictures. Mm -hmm. But uh, any time there were two airplanes going with the, any of them two-seater, I said, hey, you have an empty back seat. I come with you. And when we come from the training area back back to base, let's fly formation. I take pictures. So... Uh, then I got better pictures. Mm -hmm. But you weren't uh, the official Air Force photographer? Uh, no, at early time it was almost prohibited to take pictures. Mm -hmm. I just took them. Mm -hmm. And uh, year by year they, everybody somehow realized that I had permission to take pictures, that I'm official photographer. So uh, I became one kind of official photographer because I took the pictures and everybody knew that I take them. I supply <laughs> yeah. them to headquarters and to squadrons and uh, they asked me to take pictures. So mm -hmm. it somehow I was never pointed, but I just became one kind of uh, official, official here. Yeah. <laughs> and you've also become an author. Could you tell us about this and what books you have out? Well, it all started uh, in the Air Force when they were planning to... They, uh, in Air Force made some... Uh, annual books in starting 70s. And I criticized them because they were just black and white, small pictures, small packed pictures and no real good books. And I, I told them that make a good book. And they said there was uh, Air Force 80 years. Come and join the team. And I said, I will, but let's make a real good book. A4 size, big one, a use color. And actually, I was in the team, and uh, I made the book at home. Oh, wow. It was official, but it just happened that I made it at home. Okay. All the uh, layout and all things, put mm -hmm. the books there. It was a success yes. compared to the other ones. Yeah. Normally, they sold one or 200. Now, they, they were sold 3,000 of these colored pictures. Lot, yeah. And uh, the publisher who made it, Ask me, hey, why don't you make us these kind of books with all of my 20, 30,000 slides at that time? Mm -hmm. I said, I have no time to make books. Call me when I retire in 2002. And uh, in 2002, they called me, the publisher. You promised to make pictures, uh, a picture book for us. So they remembered. <laughs> yeah. I said, hey, why not? Okay, start with the MiG-21 in the Air Force. Yeah. Okay. So that started when I retired. Mm -hmm. 
2002, and since then I have made one book per year, mm. mostly of the Air Force and, and Air uh, Force do, aircraft. Does each book, um, is it uh, single out for one aircraft or is that a mixture of all the aircraft? Uh, there are single airplane pick, uh, books are from MiG, Draken, Fuga, Hawk, Iliusin 28 and now Holland Nat. Mm-hmm. And there are three books of the Finnish Air Force, eight years, 90 years, 100 years. Mm-hmm. And then there are one book, Pilot Laukan and my life story. Wow. And then there are two books of telling about uh, from test pilot's diaries. Mm-hmm. And one history book from uh, this local field. Mm-hmm. So and where can our viewers find these books online? You can find them in, uh, in the net. Mm-hmm. There are several net servicing bookstores in Finland you so can find. your name and they'll probably find them. Yeah. And so. those uh, Air Force books and the uh, aircraft books, they are in Finnish and in English. So we're just going to go on to a more personal side of you now. So uh, do you have any hobbies? Yes. Flying. <laughs> Just flying. Mostly uh, my hobby is uh, flying with sailplanes mm-hmm. and then biking. Biking, yeah. And uh, swimming. And I love sauna. I think that's a national thing, isn't it? Yeah. Sauna, yes. But I, I just, you know, the bicycle, I, I got my first bicycle in 55 when I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And that made it me available to come to the, this airfield. Mm-hmm. And the same bicycle it's still outside the hangar. Oh, really? I used it this morning. I've been biking it for now from 55. And it's still going? 63 years. The same bicycle, <laughs> same airfield, same guy. <laughs> Brilliant. So it's a kind of hobby, the biking. Yeah. What's the favorite aircraft you've ever flown? Of all air, airplanes, mm-hmm. the Hawk. The Hawk. Is the one you wish you could have flown? Yeah, F-86 Sabre. Wow, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, because uh, when I was in school, John Wayne was flying the F-86 ah. over, the, over the clouds. And it was kind of a, a real jet fighter for the schoolboy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always wanted to fly F-86. Oh, okay. But it never came true. But uh, what came true was to fly with the World War II fighter was the B-51. Oh, right. I managed to fly two flights solo with B-51. That must have been special. Yeah, that's one of my most special experience in aviation is to fly alone with B-51. Pretty impressive, yes. Actually, I think I'm the only Finn who ever soloed B-51. Really? Yeah, okay. a real Finn. Not any American Finns, but living in Finland, a real Finn. Wow. People have been flying in the backseat for ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars, I got to fly free, two flowers, <laughs> half an hour each in the US. Brilliant. So that was kind of a lifetime experience. Of course. So how many hours do you have altogether? Well, there are ten thousand hours in the Air Force, mm-hmm. five thousand six hundred with sailplanes, mm-hmm. and two thousand three hundred with the uh, with those civil airplanes. Mm-hmm. So it makes 17,900. 100 more and I'll hit the 18,000 flying so hours. <laughs> yeah. And uh, finally, do you ever get sick of talking about aviation? Well, 
it's been my life. Perfect answer. Yeah. <laughs> well, Yorkie, thanks very much for being on the show. It's, it's been a pleasure to hear your story. Thank you.